city and the world. You may be seated. And again, I do want to encourage all of our members to come out to our membership meeting after service. And for those of you who aren't officially members, let this be an opportunity for you to become a member so that the next meeting we have, you can actually attend. We have membership classes that are coming up so soon, and so we want to encourage that. But yeah, we would just ask all you members, those who have been approved as members, please be sure that you come, and that is a meeting just for those who have actually gone through the membership process and approval. In article in Politico, the, the author and the writer writes, when I called an Israeli defense analyst this week to talk about the terror visited on her country, I wanted to jump quickly to my questions. How long will Israel's fight against Hamas last? What will victory ultimately look like? What happens when the immediate clashes end? But she had something to share first. She says, quote, I just came home from a funeral. She said that with her voice breaking, it was awful. There aren't enough slots to hold all the funerals. They're running out of flowers. There are so many bodies. It's insane. It's just insane. Israelis say that this is their 9-11. Worse even, given the proportion of people killed in a country of only 10 million, the language Israelis are using is cataclysmic. They've butchered babies, slaughtered entire families, and raped women, an Israeli official told the writer. The problem for what I could gather in conversation with Israeli and U.S. officials and analysts is that no one seems to know exactly how this is going to end without there being even more evil and destruction ushered in. I want to encourage us as a church to be praying for Israel. In fact, if we could even now bow our heads and just take a minute, and if we could pray for Israel, if we could pray for the Messianic Jews, if we could pray for the Palestinian Christians, because there are Christians in Palestine, if we could pray for those who do not follow Christ in Palestine, who need to come to a saving knowledge of the truth, and let's pray that God ultimately will be glorified in it all. Let's just take a moment, and in one voice, let's all cry out to the Lord. Yes, God, we come. 
God, will you please be magnified? God, in a situation that is so tragic, God, will you take, Lord God, what the devil meant for evil and turn it for good? God, will you use this as another display of the goodness of your gospel, the wonder of your love, and your faithfulness, God, to your plan and your people? That you, Lord God, would take from the ashes those who are far from you and convert them to you in your way. God, will you bring Hamas down? Will you cause them to turn and repent and come to know the saving work of Jesus Christ? God, will you do the same for the Israelis, everyone? That they would come to see and know, God, that you are indeed, Lord Jesus, the Messiah. That you came, Lord God, 2,000 years ago to bring them into what their hearts have always longed for. And God, will you please help us as your church to be faithful, to hold up Israel, Hamas, Palestine, and be, God, what you've called us to be in a world that needs you desperately. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I brought before you an, a, a resounding call of the very last words of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. He gives a superlative, if you will. Three times he says, I am coming. I am coming I am coming. And at the end, he says, surely. Now, last week, what I failed to expound upon in Revelation chapter 22 is the word that comes after that phrase, and that's the word soon. Everybody say soon. How soon? Are the things that we even see now happening in Israel an indication that the return of Christ is imminent? What are the signs that will mark the very end of the age? I told you the most important question that we needed to ask ourselves last week was this. Are you ready? Now today I ask, how ready do you need to be? How soon is soon? What are the signs of the end times? And, and are we seeing them even now? And what would cause for us to live more heightened in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to be looking at the entire chapter for the most part and into portions of chapter 25. And in Matthew chapter 24, this is Jesus' fifth and final discourse on what it means to be a disciple of his. His last and his final direct instructions on discipleship. So I want you to feel that. In four discourses in the book of Matthew, he outlined what it means to follow him. In Matthew chapter 5, he talked about being a kingdom-driven disciple. And then the next discourse in Matthew chapter 10, he called, he called us to be a mission-driven disciple. 
And then in Matthew chapter 13, that discourse, he gives a treasure-driven disciple. And then in Matthew chapter 18, he gives a community-driven disciple. And now this is his last and final discourse. And Matthew is an actual manual on discipleship. Jesus intentionally, and Matthew intentionally puts these discourses in so that by the end of it, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, what does Jesus command? Go and make what? Disciples. The very disciples that are outlined we see here in Matthew. And the very last one is here in Matthew chapter 24. So if you want to follow Jesus well, this fifth and final one ought to give us profound attention. Now Jesus reveals this last final discourse of what it means to be a disciple by answering two questions that come from his disciples in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign, everybody say sign, of your coming and of the end of the age. So we see two questions. Tell us when these things will be, and then the second question, what will be the sign of your coming? Now, Matthew chapter 24 is actually in what is called a chiastic structure. And I wanted to display it, but it's kind of hard to see, so I'm going to try to explain it. A chiasm is basically kind of what they call an A-B-B-A construction. And it's a literary construction to help give greater understanding or emphasis to a text. And so this chiastic structure begins with first, the first question, which is in 3A, verse 3A, the first phrase, which is, when will these things take place? And then you see the second question, which would be our B, what will be the sign of your coming? So you see A, when will these things take place? B, if you're writing the outline, when will the sign? Then what happens is Jesus answers the B question first, and he starts that in verses 4 through 35, and then he circles all the way back to the A question, when will these things take place in verses 36 through 44? So it's a chiastic structure, all right? So we're going to move with that structure. And these are three questions I want to ask this morning. One, what will be the sign of the coming of Jesus and the end of the age? Two, how soon? When will these things take place, as the disciples asked? And then lastly, I'm going to answer, how does a follower of Jesus respond to the reality of Jesus' imminent return? Now, are you guys ready? Because here's the thing, I'm going a little bit academic today, is that all right? The title of this, of, this, of this whole series is Kingdom Come, a study, everybody say study, of the end times. So we're going to be in the text, and I'm going to be more teaching, if you will, than declarative preaching, okay? So we're going to have to gird up our loins, all right? Everybody, gird them up, go ahead, everybody, do you like this? All right, and let's get ready. All right, the first question. What will be the sign of the coming of Jesus at the end of the age? Starting at verse 4. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and and kingdom against kingdom, and, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then 
They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has it not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had been cut off, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut off. And if anyone says, look, here is the Christ, or, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So, if, you, if, if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go. If they say, look, he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as from the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Whoever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will darken, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven a sign, the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will, they will see the Son of Man on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, and from one end of heaven to the other. Now, what I want you to see is a display of the chart that I gave last week of the end times, the end times calendar. Now, here's the question. The verses that I just read, what are these verses describing on the end times calendar? When you look at the calendar and you see tribulation, right, and you see the seven years, the verses from verses, verses 41 through 31 that I just read, are they describing the end of the tribulation where it says Christ is going to come right before the millennium? Or is the stuff that I just read happening at the beginning of the tribulation where it says church age? You see that? That's the question. And I think sometimes when we read these verses, we get confused as to what verses 4 through 31 are talking about. Are verses 4 through 31 signs of what's going to happen before the tribulation? Namely, they're going to happen in the church age and then launch the tribulation? Or are the things that I just read in verses 4 through 31 during the tribulation? That will then end, verse 31, at the end of the tribulation, which is the second coming of Christ. That's the question. Are you guys with me so far? Okay. Now, I want you to see another chart. This is a tribulation map. Now, when I say tribulation, tribulation, I want you to know, is also synonymous with the day of the Lord. 
In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's this constant refrain of the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the day when God is going to come and bring judgment on the earth. That is the day of the Lord. So when we say tribulation, it is synonymous with the day of the Lord. Also, when we say the word tribulation, and I'm not going to go there, we get that from Daniel chapter 9 called the 70th week. The 70th week is the last epoch of God's judgment that is going to come on the earth. That's in Daniel chapter 9. All right? Now, on this map, here's what you see. You see the church age to the left, and then you see the rapture of the saved, right? And then the beginning of the tribulation. And in the tribulation, there are going to be three judgments. There's going to be seal judgment, trumpet judgment, and the bowl judgment. And then after the bold judgment will be the return of Christ. And so the question is this. The signs that I just read in verses 4 through 31 are those things, the things that come before in the church age where the rapture comes, or are verses 4 through 31 the judgments in the tribulation that will then lead to the second coming of Christ at the end of the bold judgments? All right? I'm giving you guys illustrations. You guys still with me? Okay. So now let's read, starting at verse 4, and ask ourselves, is it, give that chart again, is it the seal, trumpet, and bowls, or is it before? Verse 4. And Jesus answered them, saying, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. That I see as the first seal. Verses 4 and 5 that I just read is also in conjunction with Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come, and I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. It's the same thing that we see in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 24. And for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. I am coming to conquer, namely the Antichrist. Okay, now let's look at verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. That I see as the second seal. Why do I say that's the second seal? Because it's right in conjunction with Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. When he opened, I'm sorry, uh, Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Verse 6, a great sword is wars, right? Rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. So we see again a conjunction with verse 6, with Revelation chapter 6, which is happening during the tribulation. Now, the third and fourth seals in the tribulation I see in verse 7. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, everybody say famines, and earthquakes in various places. 
That's exactly the same as what happens during the tribulation in Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal. So now we got the third seal. I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. What is that speaking of? Famine. The prices of food are going to be so high, so exorbitant because there's such a lack of food. So we see here again, Jesus is describing in verse 7, the third seal. You guys still with me? Now the fourth seal we see in verses 7 and 8 of Matthew 24. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So that's a reiteration, right, of the same thing that we see. But yet in Revelation chapter 6, starting at verse 7, when the fourth seal is opened, he sees a pale horse. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the living creature come, and I looked, behold, a pale horse, and his rider name was Death and Hades followed by him. And they were given authority over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine. Everybody say famine. And with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So now you have verse 7 of Matthew 24 right there. Then in verse 8 it says, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So what I see there is the seals. That's the beginning of the tribulation. So far what Jesus has described. Now, look at verse 9. Jesus says, then they will deliver you up to, and what's that word, everyone? Tribulation. The then clause there in verse 9, then they will deliver you, is best understood as a transition. Jesus now in verse 9 is transitioning to the second half of the tribulation. So if you see that chart again, Right in the middle, you see that middle portion under the trumpets? That's the middle of the tribulation. The tribulation is seven years. At three and a half is that middle area. What Jesus just gone into is verse 9 when he says they will deliver you up to tribulation. Because in the middle of the tribulation is described as the great tribulation. That's when things get awful. And look how Jesus then goes into it in verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets, because that's when you have the false prophets will arise, and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end of the tribulation will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony. And then, what does he say? And then the end will come. Are you guys following me? Now, what we see there is a, is a conjunction with Revelation chapter 14, which is also a description of the middle to the end of the tribulation. And it says in Revelation 14, 6 or 7, Then I saw an angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, sea, and springs of water. That's what I see in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. 
and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all the earth. Revelation 14 is saying there's an angel during the revelation that's going to come up, stand up, and he is going to proclaim the gospel to the entire world, and they are all going to hear it and respond to it in some way. That's Revelation chapter 14, a description of that angel. So what am I saying? What I see here is the tribulation. And now look at verse 15. Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation, everybody say abomination of desolation, that's fun to say. Now in verse 15, Jesus is doing recapitulation. That's a fun word too. Everybody say recapitulation. Where he's recapping now, but he's focusing in on the middle of the tribulation. Again, the middle of the tribulation is when the abomination of desolation, namely there will be a desecration of the temple. The Antichrist is going to rise up, he's going to take over, and he's going to desecrate, somebody's going to desecrate the temple. That's the abomination of desolation. And so now what you see Jesus doing is he's recapitulating or recapping by now giving more detail about a certain part of the tribulation, namely the second half. Now, what is the abomination of desolation? It's a future ruler that's going to make a treaty with the people of Israel. The terms of this treaty will be for a week, Daniel says, which takes a period of seven. And weeks represent years. So it's a representation of seven years. Midway through that peacetime, the ruler is going to gather his troops and put an end to all sacrifices in the temple. Because the temple is going to be rebuilt at that time. And at that time, there's going to be a desecration of the temple, and it's going to set up a sacrilegious object. And the desecration of the temple is going to continue from the middle of the tribulation all the way to the end until finally God comes and meets out judgment. Now look at verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. Alas, women who are pregnant are those nursing infants. Pray that your flight may not be in winter, for then there will be great tribulation. Everybody say great tribulation. Again, that's talking about the very middle of the tribulation. Now look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation. Okay, so what are we talking about here? where the bowls are. Immediately after the tribulation, Jesus is fixing a specific time by saying immediately. And then he says, in those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heaven will be shaken, then will appear in heaven a sign of the Son of Man. Now we have the second coming. Are you with me? Okay. So let me ask you this question. Right now, what we're seeing in the text is that Jesus is giving a description of the tribulation. Seals, trumpets, bowls. What happens after the last bowl judgment? Jesus comes back. Right? The second coming of Christ. Now look at verse 30. Then will appear in heaven a sign of the Son of Man, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That brings us to Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw heaven open to behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. 
the second coming of Christ. So here's my question. What signs then did we just read from verses 4 through 31? The events of the tribulation leading up to the second coming. Jesus, and I'm doing this intentionally, Jesus ends this section in verse 32. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also when you see all these things, all these signs during the tribulation, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Notice in verse 32, he says, when its branch puts forth its leaves, you know. Everybody say, you know. Look at verse 33. So also, when you see all these things, you know. Everybody say, you know. So basically, what Jesus is saying is that when you see the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, when you start seeing these things unfold in history, you are going to know clearly and plainly, I'm coming. But here's where it gets spicy. You guys ready to get spicy? Verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Hold up. It just got spicy. Wait, 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 wait. Verse 32 and 33 says, you know. Verse 36, Jesus says, no one knows. As Jesus lost his mind. Everybody say no. No, no, we talking about Jesus here. So then, what happens here? Because in verse 36, he says, no one knows. If you look at verse 43, that if the master in the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. Mainly, he does, you didn't know. Verse 50 of chapter 24, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect. Verse 20, uh, chapter 25, verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. But wait a minute, didn't Jesus just tell us that we would know when his second coming would be? The key is verse 36. Verse 36, you have a grammatical construction there in the Greek. It's called a peri-day. Everybody say peri-day. You see, verse 36 is a transition. But concerning. But concerning. Whenever a peri-day stands at the very beginning of a sentence, as it does here, it marks a new section of thought that reaches back to previous material, often trying to resume an unanswered question. Remember the chiastic structure? What answer did Jesus answer out of the two questions? He answered the second question first, right? Verses 4 through 31, if you look back at verse 3, he answers the second question first. Then he jumps back in in verse 36 and answers the first question, when? The second question were, what are the signs? He gave the signs. And where are those signs couched? In the tribulation. Then he asks, when? And then his answer is different. So what we're seeing here is Jesus is looking at something else. 
And that goes to my next question. How soon? When will these things take place? Basically, what verse 36 is telling us is it's talking about another day. Did you get that? Verse 36 is not talking about the second coming of Christ. It's not talking about the tribulation events that are happening before. It's talking about another day. Why? How do we know this? First of all, verse 36, the peri day. Next, after that, but concerning, what are the two ter- words after, in verse 36, what are the two words after but concerning? Everybody say that day. Now, wait a minute. That day is in the singular or plural? Singular. That day. Basically, from verses 4 to 31, he used those days. Look at verse 22. Regarding the time of the tribulation, Jesus is talking about those days. So here, in verse 36, he's talking about a particular day. How else do we know this? Keep going in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour... No one knows. Everybody say, no one knows. Obviously, this must be another day because we already do know about his second coming. He told us we would know, didn't he? So this must be another day. Now, let's look at the description of this other day so to prove that this is another day. Verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware, everybody say unaware, until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now you notice the difference between the days that I read in verses 4 through 31 and the days of Noah here in verse 37 through 39. Do you feel the casual indifference in verses 37 to 39? Verses 4 through 31 was like crazy. Famine, things falling apart, rocks falling on people, people dodging stuff, people on white horses coming, all, all kind of crazy stuff. But here, it's just nonchalant. People are getting married, enjoying life, just chilling. During the second half of the tribulation, there's going to be no buying or selling at all without the mark of the beast. So clearly, we're not talking about the tribulation here. How also do we know that he's talking about another day? Because of the sudden language. Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field and will be taken. One left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. One left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. This is sudden, snatched, boom. Verse 43 continues this language. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. If I say be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect without notice. You don't expect it, it's coming. Also, what does he use? Thief language. Do you know when a thief is coming? No, because you'd have your bat ready, your gun ready, your dog ready, taking care of business. When do thieves come? Unexpected, suddenly, you don't know it. 
He continues this theme of suddenness in chapter 24. Go down to verse 50, and I'm not going to read the, the, the discourse, but he gives a discourse about the faithful and wise servant. If you read that discourse, it's all about how suddenly this servant, the, the master comes, and the servant did not expect it. And then, if you look at chapter 25, the next discourse on the ten virgins, it's all about how the ten virgins weren't ready for the bridegroom to come. They didn't have their lamps lit, and all of a sudden, boom, he shows up, and they can't go into the feast. So you have suddenness language. So then what is the day that Christ is talking about in verses 36 to 44? Let's look at that calendar. The day that he's talking about. You see that tribulation for seven years? The one he's talking about, it comes before the tribulation. The words he's describing in verses 36 to 44 that are sudden, unexpected, without notice, you don't know is coming like a thief, is the rapture of the church and the onset of the day of the Lord, tribulation coming. So he's not talking about that day on the left of the second coming. He's talking about this day before the tribulation. He's talking about a day where there are going to be no signs. Because see, during the tribulation, if we were here, which we will not be, praise the Lord, if we were here, it would be easy to clock when Jesus is coming. All you got to do is watch the seals. All right, there went seal number four. And then all of a sudden, we got some trumpets. Oh, the trumpets is coming. All right, there's trumpet number one, two, three. And then all of a sudden, now we got some bowls. The bowls is coming. They filling up. There's the last bowl. Y'all better be ready because somebody's about to get bowled up because Jesus is coming. Right? You would know. Right? You just got to follow the seals. Just one after another after another. So there is no suddenness or immediacy or without notice or coming like a thief. The one that is going to come like a thief, the one that is going to come without notice, the one that is going to be where people are going to be going about their usual day, going to school, hanging out, doing homework, just chilling, playing video games, consumed with your career, got the family intact, going after your goals, your desires, your vision, and then all of a sudden, bam, right there, rapture. All of a sudden, people are going to start disappearing. All of a sudden, it's going to be like, oh, where did this person go? And then all of a sudden, what's going to happen is seal number one, then seal number two. And it's just going to start unfolding just like that. And nobody's going to expect it, just like the days of Noah. Here's a question I ask myself. We can't know when the rapture and the tribulation will be, because that's what that's talking about there. Verses 36 through 44 is the sudden ushering of the church into the presence of Jesus Christ before the tribulation, that's the rapture, and the onset of the day of the Lord. The tribulation is going to hit, and nobody's going to know it. It's just going to come, and the world is going to literally unravel. Now, here's what was clarifying and startling for me, and I know that was a lot. You guys still with me? I, I love studying that stuff. I, I had a good time this week. I, I so badly wanted to share that with you. Did you guys enjoy that? Yeah. Oh, I, I loved it. All right. So here's a question that I ask myself. 
We can't know when the tribulation, the onset of the tribulation, and the rapture of the church will begin. But here's a question I ask myself. Are there even signs that we can be looking for for the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation? Here's what I'm saying to you. And again, I, ain't got, I, ain't, this, I have some biblical text in some way, but here's the thing. This is how I reconciled it. The stage, listen to me, the stage for the rapture and the tribulation, because there's certain things that need to be in place for the duration of the tribulation, all the seal, trumpet, and bowls, there are certain things that have to be in place before the tribulation even begins. And here's the reality. We right now are in a place in the history of the world where we are more close to the reality of what's needed for the tribulation to begin. Israel is almost ready for the tribulation. Watch this, because what do you need? You want to show me, um, show me one of the, you can show me any one of those charts. Temple. Here's the reality here. Israel, first of all, is a miracle. The regathering of Israel occurred in 1948, is when they established the Jewish state of Israel. Do you know how long it had been since that occurred? A.D. 70. Thousands of years. Israel had not been a state. Robert Newman, an Old Testament scholar on prophecy, says, what are the probabilities that a people group will be globally dispersed and yet retain its identity for centuries, independent of a homeland, survive almost continual persecution and harassment, and then return to reestablish their nation? that a globally dispersed group would return to their native land and resettle after 2,000 years is unique in history. It's never happened. And many scholars believe that's the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 8, verses 7 through 8. God is going to regather his people. Then in 1967, there was a six-day war. Egypt, Syria, Jordan. Little old Israel. You understand there are only 10 million people in Israel, and at, th at that time, there weren't even that many. They defeated Egypt, Syria, and Jordan. A six-day war. Miracle. They tried again in 1973. They tried again in 1982 to take Israel out. They tried in 2006, the Lebanon Wars. They tried in 2008, Gaza. Some see, see in Amos 9.15, the promise of the simple fact that God will not allow for his people once again to be uprooted. And in the time that Israel came and became a state, you know what they did? They liber liberated Mount Moriah. That's where my daughter gets her name. Because that's the original site of what? The temple. And it was liberated by Israel. In 1987, the Temple Institute started. It's an organization in Israel. And you know what they said their short-term goal is? To rekindle the flame of the holy temple in the hearts of mankind through education. Our long-term goal is to do all in our limited power to bring about the building of the holy temple in our time. And on April 10, 2014, they're actually right now in Israel preparing Levitical priests to perform live sacrifices for the reconstruction of the third temple right now. And in 2017, 
For decades, Jews have been restricted from the Temple Mount to pray. And just in 2017, I remember we visited that year in 2017, we actually were able to go to the Temple Mount, and there were Jews there praying on the Temple Mount. The regathering of Israel. This is why I think we're closer to the tribulation and the rapture than we think. Secondarily, peace in the Middle East. I'll read an article about just a war that's begun with Hamas. And one writer says, the region in Israel is changing. Analysts suggested that at this current conflict right now, watch this, it might finally be time for a new kind of peace process framework where the U.S. is no longer the sole broker. Why does that hit me? Because many scholars who study end times, they don't see the United States in prophecy. We don't exist. And what's crazy here is that, watch this individual, the United States has a long history of playing peacemaker in Israeli and Palestinian conflict, even as the crown jewel. We've been the crown jewel. A comprehensive deal forging a last, lasting peace between Israel and Palestine. And what this author says, it remains elusive. We have tried year after year after year, decade after decade, and the U.S. cannot do it. And watch this. I have never seen, one writer says, the U.S. peacekeeping role to be as limited in ambition as I see it now. You're seeing an erosion of a two-state solution with only, if I may say, a half-hearted commitment from the Americans. Now watch this. A deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia could see a greater peacemaking role. Did you hear what I just said? What do we see rising? The crown prince, Mohammed bin Salam, the kingdom's de facto leader, Saudi state news agency said this week that he is known and told world leaders that he is making an unremitting effort regionally and internationally to stop the war between Israel and Hamas. Saudi Arabia. You know what this is setting the stage for? The Antichrist. Whoever has the cachet to bring about peace and what's interesting to me is that the rapture and the tribulation are on their way very soon is the World Missions Movement. The organization, there are believers, they, they believe at the rate of missions right now, global missions, there will be believers in every single area that has not yet known the gospel by 2033. This takes us back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, when this gospel of the kingdom is heard by all nations, and then the end will come. Now, again, there's different interpretations of that, which I'd also believe in Revelation chapter 14 that talks about the angel who declares um, the gospel to all the nations. But this is what I'm saying. We're really close right now. So the angel, if it is him who finishes it off, he ain't got much work left to do. The Bible in every language, the Bible will be in every language between 2033 and 2038. And a body of Christ in every village and neighborhood, the Global Alliance for Church Multiplication, says that we will have one for every thousand individuals by 2025. 
What am I saying? How soon is soon? It's sooner than we think. There are so many scholars that believe that Jesus is coming to get his church and bring judgment on the world in your lifetime. Are you hearing me? In your lifetime. You're going to have a heart that's still beating when Jesus Christ comes to take you home if you're with him right now in Christ. It starts to put things into perspective, doesn't it? It starts to shift priorities, at least I hope. And so my last question, and I end with this, how does a follower of Jesus respond to the reality of Jesus coming? Live like today will be your last, because it just might. Jesus, I might be standing here and woo. No, like right now, right now. Because nobody knows. It's going to come like a thief in the night. How does Jesus want to respond to the reality of his coming? Live like Jesus could crack the sky open in the middle of your heartbeat. Live like life is short and eternity is long because it is. Live like you have a dependence on something that is far greater worth than what you're depending on right now for your satisfaction and joy. Live with his strength to deepen your resolve to make him your Lord, Savior, and treasure. Live like this is moth and rust and it does not matter. Live for what's truly worth living for. That's the way Jesus wants to respond to us who believe in him as Lord, Savior, and treasure. Are you ready? <laughs> Young people, I was, I, was, I was your age one day. And when I used to hear stuff like this, I'd be like, man, I'm going to miss out. I want to get married. I want to get a job. I want to have freedom. Get my parents, they're just killing me. I can't wait till I, I don't have to answer to anybody. Here's what I want you to do, my young people. I want you to pray that God give you eyes to see the return of Jesus for his church as a treasure hidden in a field. Because here's a rally. I want you to imagine anything that you feel like you would miss out on if Jesus came. Whatever you think is of just great worth, whatever it is for you. And I want you to imagine the fact that that thing that you wish that Jesus would wait to come so you can get it, imagine the fact that that thing is of so fewer less glory than you could imagine and that whatever you're desiring and what Jesus is going to take from you when he comes you're going to get that in Jesus times 10 billion 10 billion 10 billion 10 billion and then some see here's how Jesus wants to live in light of the fact that he's coming soon Matthew 24 verse 50 the master of the servant will come on a day when you don't expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How does Jesus want you to respond to the reality of his coming? Chapter 25, verse 10. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. How does Jesus want us to respond to the reality that he's coming soon? Matthew 25, 29 through 30. For to everyone who has, will more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who is 
not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's no wonder that the Puritan Thomas Brooke cried out, Oh, this word, eternity, 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 this word, everlasting, 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 this word forever, forever, forever will even break the hearts of the damned in 10,000 pieces. Oh, that word never, said a poor despairing creature on his deathbed, breaks my heart. Impenitent sinners in hell shall have end without end, death without death, night without day, mourning without mirth, sorrow without solace, and bondage without liberty. The damned shall live as long in hell as God himself shall live in heaven. That's why Jesus says, pay attention because I'm coming. So, how soon? How soon is soon? It's sooner than you think. And the reason why Jesus wrote Matthew chapters 24 and 25 is to ask you the same question that I've been asking you yesterday or last week and today. Are you ready? Because he's coming like a thief in the night. He's coming when you're just going about your daily business. Worried about things that you should not be worried about. And then the end will come. And the beginning of the end will begin. So I ask you one last time. Are you ready? Let's pray. God, will you make us ready? Help us to see, Lord God, this world for the trinkets that it is. That, Lord Jesus, you didn't waste your time saying this for no reason. In fact, this is the second longest recorded discourse of the words of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. The first is the Sermon on the Mount. So for you and for your disciples to take time to pin your words in Matthew chapters 24 and 25 and to end it with this last and final expression of what it means to really be a disciple, it must mean a lot. Help us feel the gravity and the weight of it and respond in kind because you're coming you're coming soon so God help us help us to be ready in Jesus name